Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 362 Addiction and Substance Abuse with Professor Mark Hunter. I hope you listen and enjoy. Welcome to Unit 4 of Psychology 362, Addiction and Substance Abuse. In this unit, we're going to look at alcohol and opiates. Chapter 9 of your textbook focuses on alcohol. Alcohol is, is of course, uh, drunk in three different forms mainly, beer, wine, and hard liquor, what we call distilled spirits. And it occurs through a process of fermentation and distillation. And um, alcohol content of a, of a beverage may be expressed by the volume or weight, or another way is proof. So the proof is twice the amount of alcohol. So if something is uh, uh, 20 proof, that it means it's 10% alcohol. Um, in the United States, the, um, um, after the prohibition, of course, it's very understandable, alcohol consumption increased into the 1940s. Then during World War II and other episodes, it decreased. But then in the 1960s into the 70s, there was an increase again. Um, in the 1980s, it decreased. And, uh, and then it increased in the 1990s. And uh, there's, since then, has been a sort of a slight uh, steady increase. When you um, talk about the factors such as if someone lives in the city or in the rural areas or gender or age or ethnic background, um, the, um, that, that has an effect on alcohol consumption. And so both light and moderate and especially true for uh, heavy drinking. So all these uh, factors can have an impact and your book talks more specifically what those are. Alcohol is a depressant. It depresses the central nervous system. Um, it uh, may, the, the understanding of why it works is that it, it dissolves the liquid, the lipid membranes, excuse me, the lipid membranes. The GABA receptors, GABA is one of the neurotransmitters, are one locus of likely um, activity of the alcohol's interaction. And so it's kind of hard to understand exactly where alcohol specifically acts because it affects so many areas of the body and, um, where we can kind of pinpoint with uh, nicotine and caffeine and alcohol, it has an effect in, in many different areas. Um, it's usually uh, absorbed in the small intestine and um, the rate of alcohol absorption can really depend on the uh, individual's physiological factors and also situational factors, meaning that someone is a 200-pound um, male, they're able to drink uh, more alcohol uh, than like a 120-pound female uh, without, getting, uh, without getting drunk. 
meaning or that the blood alcohol content is helpful. So there's this idea that really the larger you are, the more alcohol you can tolerate without being as effective. So um, what happens once you absorb the alcohol, it's distributed throughout the body and um, the blood actually gets a high concentration of alcohol. What happens is there for its a, um, blood alcohol levels or content is used to determine if someone is legally drunk, inebriated, and uh, then um, also alcohol affects the central nervous system, particularly the brain, and the lethal dose um, is for alcohol is a blood alcohol content of 45 to 50 percent, meaning if, if about half of your blood is is alcohol, then that could uh, produce that can result in death. So blood alcohol content is is a simple equation that includes uh, alcohol dose and time. Um, it can also be affected by body fat, gender rate of alcohol metabolism. So as I mentioned earlier, a larger um, person is usually, well, the larger person or smaller person drink the same amount of alcohol, the smaller person will have the um, higher blood alcohol content. So breath analysis is one way that is measuring blood alcohol content. So if someone's pulled over, uh, suspicion of DUI, then they'll be asked to take a uh, breathalyzer. It, uh, the, the blood, excuse me, the body metabolizes about 90% of alcohol and primarily in the liver. So we are hearing how the liver is taking a lot of the work of all these different drugs we're talking about. And the liver metabolizes alcohol about at a, as a constant rate and about uh, 0.35 ounces of alcohol an hour. And so you, you can't really do much to increase that. And so that's what our, our bodies can handle. Um, we develop this, this sense of, uh, of tolerance toward that, and meaning that people need to have the same, uh, or excuse me, to increase the amount of alcohol to get the same uh, effect uh, that they have. And so we build up a tolerance. So, you know, you may have heard the term drinking someone under the table or I can handle more alcohol than you or, or whatever the people are. What, it's, what that's saying is they developed a tolerance to alcohol. And the reason they developed a tolerance to alcohol is that they drunk a lot of alcohol. And so chronic heavy use of alcohol can lead to a physical dependence on it. And, um, and if you try to withdraw to stop drinking, uh, it can be a serious medical problem and it can result in death if it's not handled properly in a medical setting. There's uh, uh, the acute effects of alcohol are evident in lots of different psychological, physiological ways. Um, so when the blood alcohol content increases, the acute effects increase in number uh, in, in intensity. The more you drink, the, the more the effects are. So um, 
It says, however, when humans experience degrees of intoxication and behave under different doses of alcohol, they're modified by the psychological and situational factors, meaning that if you are, what kind of mood are you in when you uh, drink the alcohol? What um, setting are you in? That's why a lot of people will drink in bars because other people are drinking around them. And so it's socially acceptable as opposed to going to a church picnic and then all of a sudden pulling out a beer where it may not be as acceptable in that location. So where we drink can be have an impact as much or have an impact as well as what you drink and uh, the alcohol content in that. So it's very well known that alcohol affects driving ability. It impairs our judgment in how to make decisions. Um, it uh, is a major contributor to even uh, non-fatal alcohol um, automobile accidents. Um, so the um, there's been lots of awareness programs that have been started in the last few years about trying to uh, give attention to this. Um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other sorts of organizations by uh, working with law enforcement, uh, making awareness, having different programs that uh, are trying to make the awareness of how drunk driving has an effect on both the driver's life and the victim's life uh, for some time. So the psychological effects of alcohol, um, the uh, usually are effects with this idea of, of aggression, sex are associated with that. And um, so one of the reasons why it's more aggressive, it, it, it lowers our inhibitions where um, when you're sober, you think twice about saying something to someone or picking a fight with someone in an altercation. But with alcohol, you, you feel like you've got this uh, liquid courage to allow you to take on that, that big guy in the bar or somebody in the stands or, or whatever. So um, it's, um, and it's also a lot of times people associate alcohol with sexual behavior. And um, the, um, it's, it's, even though there's, that is not just the alcohol itself, it, again, it has to do with the setting that, uh, people are in and, um, the, uh, the psychological factors of that person who, who are drinking, consuming the alcohol. Heavy drinking has, um, associated with, da with damage to the body's organs. Um, liver, we've, we've heard of that, uh, cirrhosis of the liver, and also effects on the brain. So um, heavy alcohol use can affect your memory and cognitive abilities. Now, fortunately, these can be reversed if one uh, abstains from alcohol and gone through a treatment program and has become sober. However, there is a point of no return if there's a thing called Korsakoff's syndrome. And this affects memory and is similar to dementia and that's irreversible. So the liver disorders associated with alcohol 
are fatty liver, alcohol, hepatitis, and cirrhosis. And the first two are reversible. If you were to stop drinking, you would be able, your body would be able to heal itself to, um, to bring back some natural functions in the liver. However, cirrhosis of the liver is, um, is not reversible and it's permanent and it's one of the leading killers in the United States. Um, as we mentioned just a slide or two ago about sexual functions is even though people will often think that that gives them uh, courage, it actually reduces sexual function to both men and women. One of the more difficult associations with alcohol is fetal alcohol syndrome. And this occurs when the mothers drink alcohol during pregnancy. And so the, um, there could be a wide spectrum of uh, disabilities associated with fetal alcohol syndrome. And a lot of times it, it's dependent on what time of the pregnancy, what month is the mother in, is she drinking, the amount, the type of alcohol, the, the alcohol content, I mean. And so, um, so children who are born with fetal alcohol syndrome usually have physical problems and below average IQ and really struggle. It's, it's really a, a sad decision and uh, if a woman decides to drink during pregnancy that the child will have to pay for throughout their lives. In chapter 10, we're gonna look at opiates. Is there's one, really one source of uh, opiates is from the poppy plant. And this has been understood and used for medicinal purposes for centuries. So um, opiates mainly are, are involved in um, relieving pain. So in the 19th century, uh, the major active ingredient in opium, morphine, was isolated. And so um, it's more potent than, than just the opium itself. And so it's prized for its analgesic effects, but it became a major addiction problem. And we are still dealing with that problem now. Heroin is a form of opiate, and it became an alternative to morphine. And, but it also became a, a drug of choice for addicts. And, um, and then it's, uh, although op opioids became um, remain important in medicine. Um, in the 1914 Harrison Narcotics Act, heroin became a criminal drug where even though it had a medical purpose at first, the addictive properties caused it to be an illegal drug. In the last few decades, we've seen an increase in opiate abuse. And that is because of the uh, overprescription of opiates. And the, um, so when a patient goes to their physician and they've, uh, they're complaining of pain of some sort, the, um, they're wanting relief. And now the physicians have this readily available opiates to provide for them. And so they would uh, do that and more and more people took opiates. And then they uh, now were realizing the, the highly addictive nature of that. Um, Opioids work by mimicking our naturally occurring endorphins, and so which we do for regulation of pain. We we have a, in our 
their natural physical bodies, endorphins that help us deal with pain. Um, the um, you know you may deal with physical exercise or something, you get an endorphin rush. Um, however, opioids magnify this uh, uh, sense of endorphins, and uh, so that's where people start becoming addicted because they're feeling much better. When you take an opioid, it reduces your respiration, it lowers your body temperature, and it causes capillary constriction, and it usually may have a sense of pleasurable euphoria uh, as we relieve pain. This kind of sense of, wow, I feel really good now. And so if someone's in intense pain, if they just had a surgery or something, that can, uh, an opioid can really provide relief and kind of bring you down to normal. If you're not really suffering pain and you do take an opioid, then it can have this sense of euphoria that people become addicted to.